James chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series of messages out of the book of James. We've been walking through since the beginning of the new year, James. Um, we've spent the last two weeks in the first part of James chapter 1. We're going to finish James chapter 1 today, looking at the next place that the writer of James, James, tells us how to handle something in our lives. Before we do that, let me ask you a quick question, all right? How many of you, anybody in here that has joined the smart home revolution? You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, uh, your, your, your light bulbs, you can talk to your light bulbs and tell them to turn on or... Your refrigerator will talk to you. Anybody have a refrigerator that talks to them? We, we invested recently in our first smart home device, which is a thermostat that controls, learns your patterns, and then begins to turn on and off based on when you're there or not there and saves you, you know, I don't know, I think 2.5 million in the first five years. I don't know. That's what their, their claims are, something like that. It pays for itself in a few months, it says, and it's kind of neat. I can get on my phone right now and I can see what the temperature is in my house if I needed to know that or adjust the thermostat right now if I needed to do that. And there's a wave every year. They recently had their consumer electronics show, the CES, that shows all the new products coming out in the next year or two. And there are always new home devices. Uh, Alexa from Amazon. Some of you have Echo. We have an Echo in our house. We talk to Alexa around our house. Um, And so there are all these devices with Alexa built in. And one of the newest categories that everybody's excited about is the smart mirror. So, when you wake up in the morning, you're getting yourself ready, you can get all of this information given to you. So there's your medication at what time you're supposed to take it and what you have. And I don't know what Lamuna is or Parkamed, but my, you know, apparently this person, this 18-year-old needs all this medication here. Um, active challenges, things they're trying to do today. Um, you know, there's steps from yesterday. Blood pressure is being measured at the moment. They give you all this information. Get your news feed streamed here. They're even doing video in the mirror. In fact, there is a mirror that um, is a, a home gym. And so if you wanted to feel bad about yourself and then work out, it gives you the poses to do and how to do it, and you hang it in your in your bedroom or living room or wherever, and it sees you and you get these workouts done here. Now, it's a little creepy. Amen? Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? My my first question is, who's watching from the other side of the mirror, right? It's always a little concerning. But um, this is not the first time the idea of a mirror you can talk to has ever been mentioned, right? Like one of the most well-known fairy tales is what? Snow White, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And what happens? The mirror talks back, right? But that's not even the first instance of a place where we ought to be able to look into a mirror and the mirror tells us something about ourselves. Today, we're going to be reminded of the mirror that was the original smart mirror. James chapter 1. Over the first two weeks, we've talked about how to handle trials, how to handle temptations. But today we're going to talk about how do we handle God's truth. Starting in verse 19, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about that phrase in just a moment. Understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word 
which is able to save your souls. Goes on to say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now here's what's happening in the book of James. James uses chapter 1 to give some overviews of some things he's going to break down more intently over the next several chapters. And the idea in James chapter 1 is, first of all, when you find yourself in a trial, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, don't immediately think, why did God let me this? This is because I'm being punished. But see it as an opportunity. And when temptations come your way, don't forget, God's not the one tempting you. That is the enemy and that it comes from within yourself. And in those moments, use those as opportunities to grow in your faith. And then he says, and don't forget to do what you know what you ought to do. Don't just listen to the word of God. Don't just hear it. Don't look into the mirror. See yourself. See what needs to be changed and walk away. But do what God has called you to do. And so today we're going to have just two points to this message. Two things that I want us to take away from this message because I think they are the important moments that we should see in the ending of chapter 1 of the book of James. The first one is that we need to receive the word. Receive the word. Now look again at verse 19 through 21. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, before we move on to this understanding of receiving the word, we must first see here that this is a term of endearment. In fact, in this version, it says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. But the original language literally uses the word there for dearly beloved. Or the, the word there is the, the form of agape, for friendship, for love that is deep and abiding. It is a loved one. And he's saying, know this. What I'm about to tell you does not change your place with God's love. This is for God's people. And your status with God does not change. But this is a checkup. This is a momentary checkup to see if you're doing what you're supposed to do. This is a test. This is a quiz to see if you're doing it. And the first thing he says is we need to receive the word. He says there in verse 19 again, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want to focus at the end of this verse on this idea of humbly receive the implanted word. I want to talk, really break that down. What does it mean by word? What does he mean by that phrase, the word here? Most of the time when we see that in Scripture, we think immediately he's talking about Scripture as a whole. And we'll talk in a minute. I think that's part of it. But the idea behind the implanted word here goes back to what he said about the word in verse 18. And the word there means the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been imparted to us. The word of God is the gospel that saved us. What God has done for us as sinners. What he has done in and through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was in my place. 
that he came, that he lived a perfect life like we talked about last week, that he gave his life for us and that he was been raised from the dead for us. The word here primarily is talking about the gospel that has been placed into our lives, that has been given to us the good news of salvation. The gospel, the good news that opens our eyes to the power and the beauty and the majesty of God, the love of God in our lives that gives us new spiritual taste buds. Enjoying things that only God provides. I don't know if if you've had this or if you remember this from your childhood or you've experienced it with your children. When I was growing up, there were certain foods that I did not like. And I made it very clear to my parents that I did not like those particular foods. And I would not eat those particular foods. And now I have children that seem to think it's okay to tell me that they don't like certain foods and they're not going to eat those certain foods. We had baked potatoes last night. You know, amen in the house of the Lord. Maybe you're not a baked potato fan. We had New York strip with it. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? All right, here we go. And some, and some pasta. Now, we, we had all this kind of together. We were throwing some stuff together. We, and, and we ate and we were having a good meal. And I looked over at my girls' plates, and you could tell that my girls love steak. They love steak. Maddie will eat a piece of steak, and, and you'll look over there, and she'll be saying, steak. And she's literally got some of the red coming down from the, the juice, and it is weird looking and somehow, like, very proud of her for that, all right? And so they love that. They ate the pasta. But the potatoes, now you're talking about the most bland thing you can eat just about. Look, we put butter, cheese, a little salt on it, all to love it. Like, oh, it just doesn't taste good. All right? My girls weren't the only ones. I had one son. One son eats most everything. I have another son that refused to eat much last night. And I remember, I'm talking about the potatoes. Look, you didn't eat the potatoes much. If you're going to talk back to me, we'll talk about it, all right? <laughs> huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, now you got me off track. <laughs> At least you're engaged, all right? So, we were, were eating, and you just, I, I think back to my childhood about foods that I said I didn't like that now I love, Right? There are certain things that growing up, I, one of the things I would not eat is cream-style corn at all. Wouldn't eat that. And my parents would always say, say things like, well, you don't know what you're missing. I was like, yeah, not much is what I'm not missing. Or, now I love it. I'll eat it, right? They're just foods that as you grow, your taste buds change. But one of the things that happens with the word that's being described here is, When we accept Jesus Christ, when Jesus forgives us from our sins, when we are saved by Jesus, it changes our spiritual taste buds. And things that used to taste good to us don't anymore or shouldn't. And things that didn't taste good to us, they do now. And what he's saying is, you need to receive this word, this word of the gospel that gives us new spiritual taste buds, that gives us new things to enjoy. It's like the C.S. Lewis quote that says, Most of us as Christians are living, making mud pies in the dirt when God promises us a holiday at sea. But it's not just the gospel. 
It's also the collective revealed truth of God. It is the scriptures that we have that God has given to us. And so he says that we need to receive this. We need to take this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also the revealed scripture that we have, God's word in our place. And that our reading of scripture should be completely informed by the reality of the gospel. That we don't read them separately, but we are reminded of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we read the gospel and read the scripture in that way. But there's a strange phrase here. It says, receive the implanted word. All right, let's just go to basic words for a minute. What does the word implanted mean? Like put inside of, right? Like if you implant a seed in the soil, you put it inside the soil. So here's the question. How do you receive what's already been planted? James says if we're going to walk as God calls us to live, we need to learn to receive the implanted word. And here's the idea, that it is something that has taken root, that these are two believers, that he's writing to people that are already followers of Jesus Christ, and that it is already implanted in their life. Now, that's important for two reasons. One is, over the next few weeks, we're going to have lots of discussion about the idea of faith versus works. Are you saved by faith? Are you saved by works? And a lot of people say James says that works is what saves you. That is not what he's saying at all. And we have evidence here because he says from the very beginning, the word, the gospel, the life-changing gospel has already been implanted inside of you. So we know that this scripture that is written through the rest of James is not to try to say you've got to earn your salvation. The second thing that makes this important is that sometimes we can read James and we can look at it for other people. But when it says that it is the gospel is implanted in us, that means it's for God's people. It means it is for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. It is for us, church. We need to listen to this. We need to obey this. We need to walk in this. So the question becomes again, how do you receive what you already have? couple of ways. First of all, allow what you already have to exert an ever-increasing, life-changing, sin-killing, Christ-exalting work in our souls. What he means by this is, just because you've heard the word, doesn't mean you've received the word. Just because the gospel has been planted in your life, does not mean that you are daily living out the implications of what that gospel means for you. That the word of God, the scriptures, the gospel, the truth of the gospel should be like oxygen to us that fills our lives, but we are constantly in need of more. None of us woke up this morning and thought, boy, I had some good oxygen yesterday. I don't need any today. We need it every day. We need a constant supply of the word of God in our lives, both the gospel truth of what Jesus has done and the scripture that has been written for us. And as we continue to hear and believe and receive the word of God day in and day out, it awakens and strengthens and reinforces the word already implanted within us. It says that it is going to change us day by day by day. Now, here's the thing. Some of us have obstacles in our lives that prevent us from receiving the word that is already implanted. Because even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can hear the word and there may be things in our lives that block its effectiveness from us. James tells us what five of those things are right at the beginning of this section. He starts this section saying some things to us that we need to be aware of. 
five obstacles to receiving the word in your life. See if any of these hit you where you are. First of all, being a chatterbox. What's the first thing James says in this section? Be slow to speak. Be careful with your words. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because in a couple of weeks, we're going to spend more time talking about what you say than anything else in your life. And it's going to be uncomfortable for all of us in this room. I'm just going to tell you. Because one of the most difficult muscles in your body to control is your tongue. And he says that if you're constantly speaking, constantly talking, constantly giving information, you're not allowing time to receive. Being a chatterbox is a way that we keep ourselves from receiving the word. Secondly, being a bad listener. He says, be slow to speak and what? Quick to listen. The actual phrase there is literally, hurry up and listen. Like, be attentive, be listening, be always ready to learn. Here's the point that James is going to tell us, and you can see this through all five of these, but the idea here is if you believe as a follower of Jesus Christ that you have it figured out, that's the last one on the list, if you think you know so much you don't have to hear anymore, you don't have to listen anymore, you don't have to go for more information, then you have missed it. Be willing to listen, be willing to hear. I just want to be real honest with you. We live in a society that are terrible at the first two. Everybody wants to tell everybody what they think, and nobody wants to listen to anybody else's opinions unless it agrees with what they already agree with. And I'm not just talking about politics, although that's the place that you see it the most. I'm talking about religion. I'm talking about our walk with Jesus. I'm talking about family relationships. I'm talking about any area of your life. We are quick to let people know what we know and not very quick to listen to what they might be able to teach us. At least we got the next one figured out, right? None of us get angry very much. No, that's not true either. You want to be an obstacle to receiving the Word of God? Have a short fuse. Get mad quickly, internally or externally. Let it affect you. Some of you are people that hold it in and hold it in, but that doesn't mean you're not angry. Just because you don't end up flying off the handle and yelling at people all around you doesn't mean that you don't have an anger problem. You may press it down and press it down and press it down, taking that poison again and again and again that is only really affecting you. Or you may be somebody that just explodes on people. He says, if anger is a regular part of your life, it's accomplishing what it meant to, which is destroying you. And you're not receiving the word of God. Fourth thing is refusing to take out the trash. He says it towards the end of this, therefore ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. That means to live a life, to remove the trash from your life, to not let the influences of trash. He's just talked about temptation. He talked about the fact that we can overcome temptation. We talked about last week the way we do is draw close to the Lord, that we deal quickly with sin. And he says many of you are not willing to take out the trash in your life, and so it is stinking up your ability to receive the word. The phrase there he used is literally moral stank. Maybe that's not the proper term, but that's what it means. Filthy. And then the last thing is people that think they've got it all figured out. We get that because he says, humbly receive the implanted word. 
In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a group of people that thought they had it figured out. In fact, Paul gives a scathing review of them, even though when you're reading it in your text, you may not see it. But there are a couple of places where he says something like, I am glad that you have it figured out more than we do as the apostles. I'm glad you know more than we do as the apostles. I'm glad you've got that figured out. But for me, I'm still trying to figure out how to live exactly like Christ wants me to live. I'm glad you've got it figured out. I'm glad you have arrived. I'm glad you are all that you need to be in Christ, but we're still working on it. That was like uh, Bill Belichick going to a high school coach and the high school coach telling him everything he's got figured out. Bill Belichick going, I'm glad you got it figured out. I'm still trying to learn how to coach football. Paul says that knowledge puffs up. And I just want to be real honest with you. If you're here today and you're honest with yourselves, One of these five obstacles in your life right now is trying to prevent you from receiving, really hearing the word of God. First thing that he tells us in this passage is to receive the word, to overcome the obstacles and receive the word. Second thing, be a doer of the word. I just want to be honest with you as a pastor. The easiest thing would have been here for me to give you some, some good, um, to get, give you two points that are almost the same. Receive the word, do the word. But that's not what the scripture says here. He's very specific in the way he uses this. So in verse 22 it says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He chooses the noun for doer. He doesn't say, now do the word, because we can do the word in and out, sometimes maybe a little bit here and there. What he says is, be someone whose life is characterized and known for doing what the Bible says. It's not just do the word occasionally, it is be a doer of the word. Doing what God commands permeates you, it is you, it's every part of you. Be a doer of the word, one who has the scriptural values and words and conduct and relationships and finances schedule that is just a part of who you are when people look at you they think man he's a doer of the word when you start a conversation with somebody what, what are some of the first questions you ask them like you want to know their name right you want to know you know you're from around here and then what's another question that comes pretty quickly after that what do you what do you do i mean what's your profession what's your what's your what defines what your work is and paul um, excuse me james says here That if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that ought to characterize us is that when people say, what do you do? You say, we are doers of the word. Now, just to be honest with you, if you said that in a conversation, it might sound a little crazy. So I'm not telling you to go this week and tell everybody that. But you know what I mean, that it characterizes your life. He says the way that that happens in our lives, the way that we are doers is that we gaze intently into the truth of God's word. We gaze intently with purpose, with penetrating absorption. We investigate, we study, we look into. We do everything we can to figure everything out in there. On this past Friday, I I went, uh, Ava had a regular checkup doctor's appointment. uh, I went with her and we were sitting in the doctor's office and they were doing some tests and they gave her something to be distracted for a minute. And they gave her one of those big I-Spy books. Y'all know the I-Spy books, right? You know, it's about like a big picture of lots of stuff. 
And it's got all the things you need to find down there. And so my job was to help her not be focused on the test they were running, but they focus on the I Spy book. So I'm trying to help her find all this stuff. And I found myself looking intently at that page to find a seashell or four horses in a row or two real feathers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? you ever done that with your kids or your grandkids? Like you're looking into that stuff. You're looking intently. You're analyzing. Before you get to the end of finding everything, you know almost everything about that page. You know where the knight is standing who's falling off, hanging on only by the rope. You know that there's a frog stuck inside of a cave on the left side down at the bottom. You have intently gazed into that page. What he says is that we're going to be doers of the word. The first thing that has to be a part of that is we have to intently gaze into the word of God, into the gospel of Jesus Christ, and into the word that scripture teaches us. And then be someone that obeys. This is where he talks about the first smart mirror. And it's the word of God. So if he looks and goes away and forgets what he looks like, doesn't do what the word says... That's not what is intended in Scripture. That's not what's intended for the follower of Jesus Christ. He said, but if you do, if you look intently into the law of freedom, Jeff said this earlier, it is the law that gives us freedom, not the law that restricts us, but the law of freedom, then we'll be blessed in what he does. And then he ends this whole chapter, ends this whole section, with three tests that we're going to go through very quickly. Three tests to see. Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you a doer of the word? Three areas you can test that in. And the first is your speech. Now, again, we're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk intently about this. But the reality is that James makes it very clear that your speech is indicative of whether your faith is real or not. Your words do not save you in what you say, but it is indicative of whether or not you have a real faith. How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your children? Do you encourage or do you shame? What's your language like when you're just with the guys, just hanging out with the guys? Not when you're in a group of people that you know expects you to speak in a certain way. I'm talking about when you're your group of buds that want you to talk in a way that's contrary to what Scripture would teach. How are you with gossip? How are you with being able to say things that are true or not? How are you with complaining? What does that say about who you are and what you believe about Christ? Your speech is indicative of whether your faith is real. He says it right here. If anyone thinks he is religious, if anyone thinks he has faith, if anyone thinks he is right without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. That what he's saying there is you cannot say that Jesus has changed my life completely and your speech not display that. The second thing he says is not just your speech but your service. Pure and undefiled religion before God is to look after the orphans and widows. Now, he's not saying that's all that it takes. These are representative of what it means. It means that we ought to be people who are helping those in need. In their day and time, the two most desperate situations were orphans and widows. They were the people that needed help the most. And he says, true religion is taking care of people who need our help, who stand in the gaps for the vulnerable, who help those that are being 
discriminated against, that are being hurt, that are being taken advantage of, that we stand in the gap for them and we help in a public way. We help people in that place. And then the last thing is separation. We keep oneself unstained from the world. And the idea here literally is of a private morality that means that we do what God calls us to do in all of the areas of our lives. We don't follow the ways of the world. We don't get out and scream about it. We don't shout about it. But we live our lives according to what God has told us to do. What I think is interesting here is there is a correlation between the way we talk the way we serve and the way that we're separated. And the idea is that our talk ought to be things that are honoring to God and that we ought to be in service in public, helping those with compassion and justice and that in private we ought to be people of purity and morality and character. And what has happened in our world is we often flip those two and we become people who proclaim our morality, who proclaim our purity publicly and we are people that try to do compassion or justice privately. And yet Scripture says that we ought to be people who are helping those that are in need, wherever they're in need, and that we live our lives differently than anyone else around us. Three tests for whether or not you're being a doer of the world. Your speech, your service, and your separation. The book of James is a difficult book to read. It's a difficult book to preach on. It's a difficult book to hear from because it cuts right to the core of who we are and asks very difficult questions. And the reality is, if you can read that section of James and not be convicted in some way, then there is something wrong with your spiritual life. I mean, what obstacles in your life? Have you been quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger? Have you been someone that's willing to take out the trash of your life? And have you been willing to receive humbly what God is teaching you? And if people just looked naturally at your life, not what you put as a public persona, but just in general your life, if you were giving yourself a grade on how your speech, your service, and your separation is when it comes to being a doer of the Word of God, not someone that does the Word of God occasionally, not someone that takes things and and says the right things in certain places and does the right thing in other cases, but are you a doer of the Word? Is that who you are at your core in your speech, in your service, and in your separation? The thing is, James is going to ratchet up the pressure from here. Chapter 2 gets harder. Chapter 3 gets harder. But this is the baseline of who we are as followers of Jesus. And he's just beginning to ask the difficult questions. So my question for you today is, are you a doer of the word? Have you received the word? And are you a doer of God's word? Let's pray together.